I can only change my mind by really listening to you, to something you say and being open and having that space to kind of take it in and feel and trust that I, I actually can change my position a little. Welcome to Insert Human. This is a show that is not for everyone. It's for seekers, people like you, hopefully, who are searching for solutions to your problems, the world's problems, and everything in between. The conversations to come are going to show you how finding the truth of our humanity is the magic key to solving pretty much anything. Between my monologues, my dialogues with brilliant guests, and your good questions, you're going to learn how to insert human into everything, and in doing so, realize a better life and one day a better world. Greetings, everybody. You're in for a treat. We're with Linda Hoffman, who is a Harvard, Massachusetts resident, and she came to me through an introduction by Melissa Yahaya, who I think if you listen to the show, you've heard Melissa at least once. Uh, she's been on actually twice. I guess the second show will be will be uh, available shortly. Melissa was a, a wonderfully has been a wonderfully wise guide to me personally, an angel in my life, uh, helping me through some of my adult challenges. And she she recommended that I ask Linda to be on the show. And Linda very graciously said, okay. <laughs> and, you know, by quick background, Linda, if, if you look on her, you have a website, right? What's the uh, website? LindaHoffman.com. LindaHoffman.com. An artist, an author. I say an arborist. I'm not sure that's exactly true, but you, you have a fruit orchard. Is that right? Orchardist. I an orchardist. I, wasn't, I, wasn't, I knew that that word probably wasn't right a curator and also I think a practitioner of, of Buddhism. Is that is that true yes. too? Yeah. Yes. I'm gonna sort of truncate all that to say everything that Melissa shared and everything I've read and even in the short time that Lynn and I have been chatting, a, a wonderful human and a good soul who is trying to figure out the way of the world, her way in the world, and is here to share what she's learned about her journey and her, I guess, her perspective. So thank you for being here. And, uh, Thank you, Chris, for inviting me. It's a gift to me and a gift to our listeners. I'd love to start with just the broad brush. Tell me, like, the five-minute version of your journey, like where you know how you how you became an artist and an author, an orchardist. Like, how did all this unfold? I think I would say it is still unfolding. Mm -hmm. I moved to Harvard. And I moved to a small farm that had an abandoned apple orchard. This is 20 years ago, after a long marriage. Moved here on my own. And, you know, the, it was a great house. And my three kids would be able to have rooms. And it had this orchard, which I didn't, I was a sculptor. I am a sculptor. I had no thoughts to um, become an orchardist, but it was there. And I I just decided like I'm gonna bring it back somehow. With with no with no horticultural no, experience. No experience, no anything. I love but that. Guess, you know, like it was probably this way of saying I'm gonna bring myself back. I'm gonna find my way and heal my heart and without verbalizing that, without even being conscious of it. But I was going to bring this orchard back, you know, that had brambles and poison ivy and dead trees. There were maybe 300 trees. It was not. Good cute. God. But I'd say 100 of them were dead. 
so had to be removed and replanted. And I, you know, this was sort of the beginning. I didn't know much about organic, but when I read what I would need to do, like apples are still, you know, they, they have the USDA has this dirty dozen list. Apples are up there because of the pesticides that are used, chemical pesticides. I thought, oh my God, I'm not, I can't do this. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to like go to pesticide spraying school and <laughs> I mean, kill all these insects and so then it was like, okay, I have to do this organically, but without like really knowing. And so that was the beginning. And okay, I have to ask a question. Yeah. Before you bought the house in the 300 tree orchard, did you th think of yourself as a, as a plant person? You know, like, did you, do you have a green thumb? Did you have any sort of orientation towards this or was it like a complete night and day you know, I maybe I had little raised beds where I used to live. Okay, so a you little. Know, yeah. Vegetables, a little. But, so this is going back now quite a long time ago. When I graduated from college, I went to Japan on a fellowship. I stayed there two years. And the fellowship was for studying the No Theater, which is this old traditional dance drama. But in doing that, and it's a Zen art, I found the poetry and the aesthetic of traditional Japan. So I related to it. It was a language I could speak. And the Zen poets were speaking a language that I was familiar with somehow, even though my upbringing didn't have any of that. And so I think that in a certain way that formed my my connection or how my that, my, that like gave me a way to perceive the natural world it gave me a vocabulary and it gave me kind of eyes and this long tradition of appreciation that I carried with me when I returned and so that all came out in my art was that a conscious and, recognition back then or yeah you think yeah yeah okay, okay. yeah and so I think that by that time that I encountered the orchard, I was familiar. I mean, right. I loved trees. And, you know, you, you see in Japan, these, you can have like a, a really old tree that's barely alive and it's just a shell of the, the bark, but they're, they're treasuring it. Yeah. And they're building supports, like incredibly sophisticated bamboo supports to help this tree because... Yeah. You want to help it. It's beautiful and it's yeah. alive and want to do everything we can. Well, you know, it, it, tr it triggers for me. Well, one thing that's been talked a lot about since COVID began is the elevated appreciation of nature by people. I mean, you hear about this all the time, right? That, that people are sort of waking up in a way to the wonder of being out in nature and to the restorative capacity of nature and, you know, juxtapose that with what you just said about Japan, which I think there's always maybe, I, you know better than I, a, a reverence for nature going back thousands of years. And, you know, maybe America's finally sort of catching, you know, beginning to- Yeah, that'd be wonderful. It would it? be wonderful, wouldn't it? If it? Yeah, the question is, does this stick? You know, does this sort of newfound sensibility brought on by COVID, you know, stick with us? And hopefully, hopefully it does. So let's go back to the, so, so you're reading books about how to grow apple trees organically, I guess. Is that where you were? Kind of looking for, and I, you know, I, I think that one of the things I, I have seen is when you, 
when you take on something, when you become passionate about something, you find like others who also are. And I did meet up with a group of like iconoclast, holistic apple growers, like who knew they existed, but they do. And they meet once a year and they talk about apples for like 24 hours. And I learned oh my God. so much from them. And that's really what like put me on track. So I could continue to explore and learn. And because, you know, I think there's a misconception like organic. So we're not, you don't use chemicals, right? But now there's a whole array of organic materials. And organic has to, I mean, it's about how you relate to the soil and to the trees and to what you're doing. But it's not about, which is what I first thought, because who knew, about having the same paradigm of like, okay, so there's a pest, so we need something to spray a chemical to spray to get rid of the pest. So organic would be, and you know, it's a big business now and it's all over. Okay, so we can have an organic pesticide and spray for that pest. Well, that's actually still the old paradigm. Right, what's the new paradigm? Well, the new paradigm is somehow to be able to work with all the parts and to see it as whole. saying you were interested in oneness i mean to see it all how it works together so you know if there's aphids if you're not like if they're not taking over and you're not completely reactive the ladybugs might come in right and eat the aphids or you know i learned that when i have and i do have every like end of july these red humped caterpillars and i will see them on on all my young apple trees at the top that's where it all starts but instead of spraying the whole orchard if i just remove those from the young trees before they get you know before they've eaten every leaf i save that tree and I don't spray something on the entire orchard because if they're in a large tree here and there, they're fine. They're not going to, you know, the tree doesn't yeah, want, yeah, yeah. it loses a few whatever leaves on some branches, but it's all, it's okay. I have to ask, I mean, I love this. I, I'm like, I'm, I'm welling up with sort of questions and thoughts and to put you on the spot. What is the human lesson in that? Like, it's because so there's an organic, you know, horticulture thing happening there but there's it clearly there's some human you mentioned oneness is one lesson i think that's for you to draw the human lesson chris well i guess i guess my reaction was i was as you were talking i'm thinking pay what a recognition of oneness is a lesson like you know that these things are not discrete things things are connected to everything is connected to everything interdependent right and so and i think we we as humans some of us anyway, embrace that intellectually. I'm not sure we embrace embrace that in our actual actions. I think it's easier to talk about than it is to actually live that way or, or to make decisions that way. So that, that's, that's maybe one lesson I would take away. The other one is patience. You know, humans are so hardwired to solve the problem right here and now. Well, I'm gonna kill those red humped caterpillars by spraying the shit out of them. <laughs> and you're like, whoa! 
Yeah, you know, you're right. It's interesting. Someone asked me what I get out of my Buddhist practice. It's a Zen practice, so a lot of sitting. And they weren't, I knew, I mean, I was trying to like, okay, what could I, how could I answer that really simply? And so what came to me was I've learned patience. And I realized, like, and they looked at me like, oh, huh, like, what is that? Why would that be so important? And yet it really is that like that pause, that that moment to like really see, to see whether it's seeing another person and where they really are and how they're responding. Yeah. Or it's it's that yeah. patience to not jump and fix something or or answer too quickly right. and hurt right. someone. You know, like in the orchard, not not respond too quickly. Yeah, it reminds me of I, I had a talk with a dear friend of mine who actually knows Melissa. I mean, at the end of the day, this is all like, you know, we're all connected back to we're all connected. But Tom Ferber and I were talking about the issue of taking the bait, that humans are very vulnerable to to being taking the bait, you know, that somebody said something and you respond or, you know, the red hump caterpillars appear and you respond. And, <laughs> and it's, and it's just another way of saying patience, yeah. like just, and I think I'm also thinking about this idea of patience being an overlap with being present, you know, like I, I think, I huh? think the capacity to be present requires patience. Yeah, absolutely. That, you know, we're so hardwired to want to jump ahead to the answer or jump ahead to the next thing. And in that we, we actually miss, we miss either the lessons or we miss the opportunity to really address the situation or, yeah. Or to have a real dialogue. Right. Instead right. of being already having your own ideas fixed, like already forming them before you even have the conversation. Yeah. Like, how do we change someone's, I mean, we don't actually change someone's mind. They have to change it. I can only change my mind by really listening to you, to something you say and being open and having that space to kind of take it in and feel and trust that I, I actually can change my position a little. Right. Like, wow, that's huge, right? Because I was almost going to ask you in the beginning, you know, because you were saying, so we need to, we need to learn more about what it is to be human, you know, and how do you teach that? But so I think that this is about, this has something to do with how you can help people learn how yeah. to be more human. Yeah. Well, I mean, again, everything you're saying, I just want to like hug you and talk more, you know, <laughs> I think I have said that different, it's a different language, but it's the same idea that nobody ever takes anybody else's advice. And, and that sounds like a negative, but I actually think what I'm really trying to say is people have to arrive, arrive at their own answers. Like I can't give you the answer. You have to get there yourself. And in order to get there yourself, you have to give yourself the space, which is being patient with yourself and patient with those around you and being present and, and you know, allowing yourself to sit with what you're pondering without rushing judgment. And I think on the other side, for the advice givers like myself, I, I probably have a, I probably am at fault for trying to give advice, too much advice. 
I think all like all I'm really asking of the people who are listening to to you and I today and listening to the other shows, if they're listening to the other shows, is to just consider it. I'm actually not trying to change anybody because I can't change anybody. You know, the only people that can do it is us, right? You know, but I think it, it all of that is on the one hand so logical and on the other hand, it does, I think, sometimes butt up with the nature of people and wanting a pesticide. Just give me the pesticide. The that's, cure. That's the, that's the easiest way to solve the problem is to spray myself with pesticide. You're like, no, no. Oh. Okay, so back to you. So you're learning how to do this and you find this group of amazing people that are, did you seek them out or was that, was that sort of energy begetting energy? That, how, how did you find I, that? I went to a meeting. Okay, so you, you found yeah. that. Okay. And I continue to, to meet with them. Yeah. So people share, you know, and we try new things and new materials and new approaches. And yeah, there's a, you're going to ask something. Oh, I'm just going to, that for me also uh, on this, this conversation I had yesterday with a wonderful person named Aaron Baker, we got into the whole idea of people, whatever people, whatever problem people are trying to solve personal development, professional development, doesn't matter that you can't do it alone. You know, no. I mean, one of my expressions is the greatest irony of self-help is that you can't do it alone. So it really shouldn't be called self-help, right? right that's great. It yeah. should be called a collective help. And I think, you know, your story is a perfect example of that group, I imagine, was was so mind-blowing in, in what, what it taught you and I mean, you, could you have done what you did without them? Uh, maybe, probably not, right? No, and we also, I mean, it's inspiring and we need community. It's a yeah. community and right. all of us need community. Like it's impossible to live. It's really hard. I can't, shouldn't say impossible, but alone. Right. It's hard, this world. It's right. harsh. It's complicated. Complicated, Yeah. I think community and gathering with community and feeling community and that support that's there when you need it, that's a, that's a really important piece. That's something that I think people need that. It's important, like we have a, a farm here and we, that's, we are, our focus is, our, is agriculture, obviously, but also art and community. And so we have been gathering community and growing community and we have poetry events and well plein air out in the open you know poetry mm -hmm. events and poets come and they're inspired by the land and they write poems and they share them and we have an outdoor sculpture exhibit and so it's all it's that nurturing people's creative spirits mm -hmm. and giving them a place to come that is that's nature that is refuge where they can feel their own creative. Because I mean, I so many of the answers that we're searching for, we actually have inside, I believe. Well, I wanted to thank you for sharing that. And it, it harkens back to something that you said early on when you found your, your way to Harvard and maybe it was a, a bit of a challenging time in your life. And, and the idea of, I'm paraphrasing, but the idea of, creation, your creativity, expressing creativity, including, you know, re rehabilitating a, an old apple tree orchard as a restorative thing. 
like where you were in your life, that, 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 that decision resulted in restoration, strengthening of you in a, maybe a bunch of different ways. And, and I love that as a, as a, as a message, I guess, to the audience around dealing with one's struggles one way, one way is certainly finding community. The other way, which can be overlapping circles is, is the process of creation. Yeah. That ex- and I love talk, you know, is that true? Do you agree with that? Is that, is that oh, a line? Yeah, no, I, I think that's absolutely true. That when you feel your own creative spirit rising. Right, right. There's nothing like it. It's. And so uh, let me ask you a, a very, very, very specific question. Going back to the day that you went to meet that group of people is, it, is there a name for that group, the apple orchard people? <laughs> Let's see, the holistic apple group. Okay. So do you remember the day you met them or you went to the, was it an event or a physical gathering? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Were you afraid? Did you go into that tentatively? I mean, I felt out of place. Yeah. Okay. You know, at that point, I was only, I think, one of two women. Now there are more women who attend. Right. Right. Maybe 35 men all in their car hearts and <laughs> work right. boots. And I'm like, I just, you know, I have an <laughs> I just bought <laughs> right. I want it. And they were wonderful. They were like, oh, well, how many trees do you have? And you know what kind of trees you have? And sure, you can do it. And they were totally supportive. It was really sweet. So, so, so I asked the question because... The idea of seeking community and and the idea of expressing one's creativity as catharsis or as means to get to a, call it a better place. Those are both topics that I have proffered to people as one way to, to you know move forward. And often what I will get back is a sense that they are afraid, that community means strangers, and creativity means the potential for failure. Hmm. And so in both both avenues, they hesitate. You know, and, and so I'm just that's why I asked you this very specific question of did you feel that? And you just muscled through. You just said, you know what? You know, I'm an outlier in this room, but I'm committed to this journey. I'm gonna resurrect this orchard and so be it. Like I You know, I think people are really yeah, I mean, we're all afraid to be vulnerable, but I think if you can find the right place or, you know, it's a practice almost. And I think you get better at it and you learn to trust yourself more. And, you know, you have to be committed to your own growth. Right. Like I've never had been a, on a podcast before. This is my first one, right? right so, right. but when I was asked, it's like, well, why not? Like, why not? do it. Like, like keep, keep taking risks. I think that when we isolate ourselves and our fear, you know, we define our fear and we like keep packing up the wall so that there's no chinks that are, there's no way, then we're going to feel worse. We're going to suffer more. Right. That we right. have willing to to take the that open that wall up a little bit and you know the the more sort of trauma you've experienced i think and the more you've been hurt the harder it is of course 
Of course. So yeah. like you have to find, you want to find, take easy baby yeah. steps, you know, and yeah. someone and that will listen and believe in you. And yeah, yeah, it's hard, but, but you have, I do think, you know, we've mentioned that word commitment before, like you have to really, you have to take yourself seriously in terms of what you, where you want to go. Like, do you really want to be happy? Do you really want to find more freedom? Right, right. It does take work. Yeah, it, well, two thoughts. One is I said to somebody recently, you know the expression, what's the worst that could happen? The worst rarely happens. More often than not, my own experience, and I think the experience of, of friends, that when you step into that foreign place, you usually come out of it going, that wasn't so bad, or that was amazing. Yeah. But rarely have I ever heard myself or anybody I know say, that really was as bad as I thought it was going to be. <laughs> it's just, true. It's you know? true. And then, and then the other one is, which I talked to Aaron about yesterday, my own personal journey, which Melissa, as I shared with you, was so, so pivotal in, in, in helping me through. I had the benefit. I loved how you said taking taking yourself seriously. And I had the benefit of getting to a place in my life at the age of 37, where I decided to take myself seriously. And I decided that the life I was living, the way I was living it, was no longer acceptable. Like fundamentally not acceptable. Not, not a theory, not a, well, maybe... I woke up one day and I just decided to take myself seriously and to take the finding of myself or the realization of myself seriously, not even really knowing what that meant other than massive change, massive change to circumstance, massive change to how I felt, massive change of what I did. That's all I knew is I got to go there. I don't know where there is. And so... And that's also, I think, something that, you know, you and I cannot convince others to take themselves seriously, right? Back to your other point, they have to, they have to get there themselves. No, they do. But yeah, I guess it's what you were talking about earlier, loving yourself. Right. 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 I love using the orchard as sort of our, our thread. So, <laughs> so you start learning about how to grow trees and manage an, an orchard and, what was that? Was it brutally hard? Was it like, tell, just go back in time a little bit. Like, were you chopping down the dead trees? Like, who were you doing? I did get a little help, especially for that, pulling out the dead trees and burning them. We had like five huge pyres, you know, to burn. It was, it was pretty radical, but I don't know that orchard. I'm actually, it's a big topic. I've just finished writing a book. Congratulations. It should come out in the fall. So that will be exciting. What's the title? It, you know, I'm not quite sure, but it's about an artist in the orchard, the artist in the orchard. Okay. okay. It's kind of my working title. Okay. So I've written a lot about the orchard and the orchard as, as metaphor. And, you know, we have years where, not years where, but we have had some years where there's been a terrible crop and you just like, wow, after all this work, 
And then there are years where it's an incredible bumper crop and people are coming from all over to pick apples and they're joyous and they're so it's up and down. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. forever changing. I think that that's actually the biggest lesson. I think that sometimes we get this idea that we're going to find the solution, like we're going to find the answer and then like happy ending or, you know, that that's it. But, but there is no answer. Like you have to, you're just, we are, as long as we're alive, we're just there part of and responding and, these seasons, that's what you really see, that every season is so different. Every tree is so different. Right now, it's pruning season. I mean, each tree, like you go out there and you look at the tree and you look, how is it growing? And is it leaning? And are there some branches up top that are too large and they're shading the lower ones? And thus the lower ones will start to sort of die back and then just keep going. They're overshadowed. So we prune, which I think is so nice. We prune to let in the light. I love that. Every branch to receive light. Is there a human parallel to that, metaphorically speaking? That's your job. (laughs) (laughs) I knew you were going to say that. You set yourself up. I did. Well, I think there is. I do too. Well, let me hear yours. Well, I think, I mean, I, I part of what I am trying to do in my work, the writing and the, and the podcasting and the, I don't know, just the straight up thinking is I'm trying to understand how to dimensionalize a life to realize its fullest potential beginning with my own and and I'm certainly not haven't figured myself out completely but the idea of pruning to me metaphorically speaking is the idea of letting go of non-essential things to letting go of things that are actually standing in the way of the metaphorical light finding its way to the parts of you that represent the greatest opportunity for growth yeah, yeah. that's that's my interpretation Perfect. yeah it's beautiful no, we remove a lot of wood when we prune. Part of me is actually laughing inside because my ex-wife, who is a lovely human being, she's my ex, not because of her, but because of me. We had a, you know, a pretty large yard. We lived out in Acton, not far mm-hmm. from you. She was a big pruner and I was, I was the anti-pruner because I felt the pain. I, 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 I was like, oh, don't. Don't chop the brain, you know, like I was like, no, you shouldn't cut that down. And, you know, and, but, you know, now I think I better understand the importance of, of letting things go so that other things can, can grow. And I think back to the metaphor, the human metaphor of, of that is for all of us, you know, the material goods thing are, are maybe non-essential branches and the, the noise of our life, particularly pre-COVID non-essential branches, the, the transactions, the fixation on transaction, on even solution creating, madly solving are not just non-essential, I think ultimately branches that are getting in the way of the light, getting to the areas that represent the greatest growth. 
I would also throw into that people, you know, my son and I, Emmett, I have three kids. Uh, Emmett's my middle son. And, and he and I have talked a lot about the people we surround ourselves with. Yeah. And, you know, some of those people are, are essential branches or essential nutrients, you know, and helpful to our growth. And some people maybe not so much and actually are getting in the way of the light. And yeah, well, an orchard is a community. You know? Tell me more about not that. A single tree on a hillside. An orchard is a community of trees that we all, we know now that trees support each other. I mean, the trees actually don't use, they don't use even 50%, I believe, of the sugars that they photosynthesize, but they send them back down into the soil and into the roots. And they're feeding a whole network of creatures that are the support that are in the soil. All that microbiology, that microbiology is, they're the real farmers. Yeah. At the root level. And that's what's feeding us. And I mean, I don't know if apple trees do this, but I do know that scientists have seen that when a tree is dying, it will sense in the forest what other trees could most benefit from what it has. And it will release that down and direct it to those trees. Like, it's unbelievable. Unbelievable. So I do think that we can learn a lot from nature in terms of that sharing, that care. Mutual reliance. And connectedness. And, you know, so it's we have to change our minds. Yeah. Because it's the mind that we perceive how separate we are. And that our ideas are so important and fixed and that they have a right and a wrongness to them right right i was speaking this morning to somebody at my gym about the individualism that is running rampant throughout our country and in other parts of the developed world for sure and just how troubling it is you know that it's we're an orchard of trees and every many of the trees in the orchard are standing there defiantly saying I just want what I want. I care about what I need. And I don't care about any of you other trees. And that's a recipe for all the trees not making it, you know, like, and how, yeah. Yeah. and how you shift, how we as a country can begin it's to shift. It's inconceivable to even, like, I can't imagine what that would look like in the orchard. Like, how could a tree do that? Like, it can't. Like It, it literally so, can't, right? It can't so, survive, right? So, we actually can't do that, but we try to, don't we? Well, and I was, and then I ended up going for a swim. And as I was swimming, I was thinking about the conversation I had with this person. And I was thinking about these rugged, quote unquote, individualists who really believe that all, all that matters is them. And I was thinking about later in life, they will necessarily need others. Mm-hmm. Like none of us have, I don't think any of us have the ability in life generally to be alone, really. We all need some form of community, some sort of support, some sort of of nurturing and love. But regardless, later in life, when we begin to become infirm, we will need the help of others. 
Yeah. And so I'm sorry to all the rugged individualists. It's a recipe for disaster, for your disaster and the disaster of others. And I also, have you read The Overstory? Have you read that book? I have. Yes. Did you like it? Did you think it? I did. Would, yeah. I it. For the audience, I'm not shilling. I will show for Linda's book, but I'm I'm not going to show for others' books. But this, I found it a very powerful, powerful book. The simple gist is, is it's it's a it's a story, but it's also a story about the world or the I guess the the botany of trees. But one of the thing, one of the technical things I remember is I I think it's aspens. Is it aspens in in California that are all actually connected? that the entire root system is one massive. Oh, I, I, I'm not positive. I'm not sure. I, I, I'm not sure it's aspens, but there's one particular species of trees where yep. literally the tree in Northern California is connected to the tree in, so, you know, it's, I mean, it just underscores what you're saying that the self-reliance between them is remarkable, like truly remarkable. So I'm mindful of the time here. We've got a few more minutes. Is there a, go back to your book, which has not been named, but will be. <laughs> I'm sorry to be so vague. I like, no, no, it's totally fun. I've got, I have a publisher, but we haven't signed a contract. So I'm like That's hesitant totally to say anything. That's down. totally fun. Is there a conclusion? For the book? Yeah, the book? like I know there's a conclusion, but if when you, when you like, you walk away from reading the book, like you do, is there a message that you want me to get as the reader? Is there a? I do end with pruning for light. I do end going out to the orchard with the person who taught me to prune. We prune together and we've been through a lot together. Yeah. Yeah. Keep doing it. We look at each tree. We go to each individual tree and then we kind of look at each other and say, oh, it's so beautiful. And then like, feeling like it must be the most beautiful tree in the orchard. And then we finish pruning it and we go to the next one and we're like, oh, this is really a beautiful tree. (laughs) You know, you just, you can really, like in that world, I can begin to see how I could take that to everything. Everything. I mean, I was just, when you were saying that, I was like, Oh my God, in that one action, there is appreciation. There is letting go, right? Cutting down unnecessary branches, whatever. There is community doing it with another. And there is creation, which is making something that already is beautiful and healthy even more so. Like, holy crap. You got it. <laughs> oh my god! I, I think we should conclude there. Like pruning for for light is really pruning for life, right? Yeah. And 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 yeah. I, I thoroughly enjoyed this so much. So, so, so right. And uh, I hope I well. Presuming we we get through COVID soon, when can people come to the farm? Like what you know? What do you envision? Hopefully, like in the summer. Like what when's We'll be opening our sculpture exhibit on July 15th. Okay. The farm website, the name of the farm is Old Frog Pond Farm, named after a Japanese haiku. There you go. About a frog jumping in a pond. So that's a good way to remember it. And we do have a web farm website. You can join a mailing list. I also write a blog, Apples, Art, and Spirit. Is, is that the, 
sign up for. Okay. But the farm website does show when we're open. And so people can come then. We'll probably, we'll be open a little bit later in July for blueberry picking. Then we'll move on to raspberry picking in early fall and apple picking through the fall. Okay, so I'm going to make you a commitment because I think we started this conversation with that word. Melissa and I are going to come visit in July. Great. And I'm going to get, even with masks on, I'm going to hug you. <laughs> okay? <laughs> I don't know. We have, to see. <laughs> we have to see. We have to see. Hopefully, we'll both be inoculated by then. Thank you for, for being on the show. But most importantly, thank you for, for being you and for being willing to share your journey and what you have learning. And it, it's profound. Like I, there are many times in this conversation, I felt myself like welling up with clarity, welling up with, with, with wonder at what I think you're revealing in your, in your work. So thank you for that. Thank you, Chris. Thank you for your good work. Thanks for listening today. If you're in search of more opportunities to realize positive change in your life or work, and you find what I have to say helpful, You can always subscribe to my show, check out one of my new salons that are weekly virtual gatherings of like-minded folks. You can read some of my writings or just listen to one of the talks that I've given around the world over the last couple of years. And you can do it all at chriscolbert.com. While you're there, make sure to sign up for my ongoing email updates. When you do, you'll receive a free copy of the first chapter of my about-to-be-published book, Technology is Dead. Again, it's all available at chriscolbert.com. Thanks again for listening today, and I look forward to connecting more in the days ahead.